the Way City Church, located in Woodbridge, Virginia, is led by Pastor Marlon Yearwood and exists to reach the lost and disciple the believer. Good morning, family. Thank you so much for those of you that chose to worship with us this morning um, in person and those who chose to worship with us online. We are very grateful for your presence and we're super grateful for you all. And I'm so looking forward to the day that we will no longer be separated, but we'll be able to worship together in one accord and in one place. I'm looking forward to that day. I'm looking forward to that time. I want to thank you all for your faithfulness to the Lord and to TWCC in this season, where it's very easy to disconnect from the church in this season, um, and it's also very easy to withhold your giving. So I want to thank you again for your faithfulness, thank you for your prayers for TWCC, and thank you for your faithful giving um, to our church. God bless you for that. With that being said, in the month of December, um, we're going to be taking up our end-of-year giving, so I want to encourage you to um, set aside a sacrificial gift um, to help us finish the year strong, but also start next year strong. And I want to remind you guys that we are a brand new church plant, Um, so we've just launched and then closed our doors and um, now we're open again and then God willing when this season of COVID is over we'll relaunch again. So we are a brand new church plant and we are, um, we are not self-sustaining as a church plant, right? We haven't reached that point. So I was a fundraiser um, while I was church planting, while I was training, I was a fundraiser, right? So we have many churches and families um, that support us from outside of our church who don't attend our church. So obviously the goal is for us to eventually be self-sustaining. We cannot support ourselves right now, but that is the goal. So I want to remind you um, of that. But I praise God for you all. I'm grateful for you all. Today we pick up in Ephesians chapter 6, and we're, we're past the halfway mark here in Ephesians chapter 6, speaking about the different pieces of armor. We're past the halfway mark of the armor that God has called us to put on. So let's jump right in as we continue this series on the whole armor of God. Ephesians chapter 6, starting with verse 10. Ephesians 6, we're speaking about the whole armor, the entire armor of God. Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of His might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand, to withstand in the evil day. And having done all to stand, stand therefore having girded your waist with truth, having put on the breastplate of righteousness, and having shod your feet with the preparation of the gospel of peace. Verse 16, above all, taking the shield of faith, with which you will be able to quench all the fiery darts of the wicked one. 
and take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God, praying always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints. And for me, the utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains that in it I may speak boldly as I ought to speak. Amen? Father, for as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and water the earth and make it bring forth seed to the sower and bread to the eater and as your word and as the rain comes down and does not return without producing a great crop we know Lord that your word shall not return to you void when it is spoken so Father as the word is being spoken today as it is being heard today as it is being received we thank you Lord that it will accomplish that which you set it out to accomplish. We thank you that your word will produce some 30, some 60, some 100 fold in our lives. I pray that your word would fall on good ground. We thank you that your word is a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. So we thank you, Lord, for illuminating our way with your word this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Amen. Today we specifically focus on verse 17a and take the helmet of salvation. And take the helmet of salvation. The word and here means that there is more. We have the belt of truth, and amen, that is good. We have the breastplate of righteousness, amen, that is good. We have our feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace, and amen, that is good. We have taken up the shield of faith, and amen, that is good. But that is not enough for us to be successful in this war or in this battle. What we have so far is not enough for us to be successful in this war. So like the infomercial say, but wait, there's more. Right? There's, there's more. So we've spoken about the first four pieces of armor already and today we speak about the fifth piece of armor and it is necessary. Verse 17 adds to the previous four pieces of armor and states that we must now add to our armor and take the helmet of salvation. This is now, again, the fifth piece of armor that we're called to utilize. We mentioned last week the difference between having and taking. The first three pieces of armor is to do with having. The next three pieces of armor we are called to take up or to take. In verse 17a, we're called to take the helmet of salvation and take the helmet of salvation. 
The Bible describes here or likens salvation to that of a helmet. Salvation to that of a helmet. Now, let me be clear so that no one's confused here. Perhaps you're thinking that um, the helmet of salvation should be in the having category versus the uh, taking up category for something that we already have. And if that's you, I do understand your, your train of thought with that. However, verse 17 here, taking the helmet of salvation is not speaking about becoming a believer or becoming a Christian. That's not what the verse is speaking about. It's not speaking about trusting and, and coming to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. That's not what this verse means. Verse 17 is not about coming to faith in him. I want to make that very clear. In context, as you look at the book of Ephesians and as you look at Ephesians chapter 6, um, the Bible is crystal clear that the Apostle Paul is speaking to believers. In the book of Ephesians and Ephesians chapter 6, it is very clear, it's crystal clear that the Apostle Paul is speaking to believers in this section of the Bible. So then it's established that we are already believers in this section of Scripture. For you would not have access to any of this armor if you weren't already a believer. You would not have access and you would not be covered to any of this armor if you were not a believer and if you were not saved. You wouldn't be wearing the belt of truth. You wouldn't have the breastplate of righteousness. You wouldn't have your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. And you wouldn't be wielding the shield of faith if you were an unbeliever. So I believe, I believe you get it, right? We're speaking to believers. Unbelievers don't know the truth or honor the truth of God's word, which is the first piece of armor. Unbelievers are not righteous or in right standing with God, which is the second piece of armor. Unbelievers are not at peace with God through the gospel, which is the third, which is the third piece of armor. And unbelievers do not have a supernatural shield of faith to protect them, which is the fourth piece of armor. So the, the helmet of salvation then is not about suddenly getting saved. It's important that you understand that point. This is not about suddenly now getting saved all of a sudden. This verse in Ephesians 6.17 is speaking about salvation in its future aspect. Salvation to come. Now, what does that, what does that mean? This verse, Ephesians 6.17, is speaking about salvation in its future aspect, salvation to come. So let's, let's pause for a moment. When we speak about salvation, right, salvation must always be understood in three parts. Okay, write this down. Salvation must always be understood in three parts. It's, it's very important for you to know this and to understand this. Salvation must always be understood in three parts. There are three aspects to salvation, three aspects of salvation. Past, present, and future. Three aspects of salvation. 
past, present, and future. The first phase of salvation was back then, was when we believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. The first phase of salvation was when we first believed and put our trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. In Acts chapter 16, the Apostle Paul is wrongfully imprisoned. And after a supernatural event within the prison, the Bible says that all of the the chains of the prisoners become loose. And then the guard, he wakes up and he's in a panic and he's about to commit suicide because he believes that all of the prisoners have escaped. And the Apostle Paul, he shouts out to him and says, no, do yourself no harm. We're all right here in our place. So the Bible says that the guard, he he runs into the place where Paul is or was, which is probably his, his jail cell, and he runs in there. And he falls down on his knees and he says to the Apostle Paul, he says, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? And Acts 16 and verse 31, so they said, believe. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. If you are hungry, only eat. If you are thirsty, only drink. If you are tired, only sleep. If you want to be saved, only believe. He said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you and your household will be saved. Saved from what? Is the question. What are we saved from? We're saved from the the penalty of sin and death. So when we first trusted in Jesus Christ and believed in Him, we were saved from the the penalty of sin and death. Romans 6.23 says, For the wages of sin equals death, but the free gift of God to those who believe equal eternal life. So this is justification. Someone say justification. This is justification. Just as if I never sinned. Justification. Just as if I never sinned. I'm in right standing with God. I've received salvation. I've received salvation from the the penalty of sin. Just as I never even did it. This is the, the first aspect of salvation that we're speaking about. I have been saved, and I've been declared righteous before God. I've been justified. Now, the second phase of salvation is now. The first phase was back then, was past. The second phase of salvation is right now where we are today. Second phase of salvation, presently. Now we are being saved. So we, we were saved from the penalty of sin, Now we are being saved. What are we being saved from? We're being saved from the power of sin. Right now we're in the process, in this season, of being saved continually from the power of sin. 
And sin no longer has dominion over you. Philippians 2 and verse 12. Philippians 2 and verse 12 says, Therefore, my beloved, as you have always obeyed, not as in my presence only, but now much more in my absence, work out your own salvation with fear and trembling. So yeah, this is the scripture in the Bible that speaks about working out your salvation. What does that mean? This is now sanctification. So right now we're in the sanctification phase of salvation. Again, this is very important as believers that you understand this. Salvation as past, present, and future. Very important that you understand this. So the phase that we're in right now is the sanctification phase. This is us working out our salvation. We're being sanctified. We're working out our salvation with, with fear and trembling. This is now salvation from what? From the power of sin, as I said before. And this place could sometimes feel like we're, we're wrestling. The things that I desire to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I find myself doing. This is that, that stage. And it's the stage of, again, being set apart, the stage of sanctification. And this is a process. This is us being made holy or us being purified. Now, the third phase of salvation is later. It's not now. We've not yet experienced this yet. This is our hope. Our confident expectation. This is now freedom from the presence of sin. So we spoke about salvation from the um, power of sin. We spoke about salvation, first of all, from the penalty of sin. Then salvation from the power of sin. Now this is salvation from the um, presence of sin. So there is coming a day when we will no longer be in this place. And we, will no, and we will no longer have to deal with and fight the temptations of sin. And we will be in perfect glory. 2 Corinthians 5.8 We are confident, yes, well pleased, that rather to be absent from the body and to be present with the Lord. This is to be absent from the body. To be absent from this life is to be present with the Lord. This is heaven. And this is now glorification. Salvation from the presence of sin. So we have justification, sanctification, glorification. This is glorification. This is us in our perfect state, in a perfect place, beholding the fullness of a perfect God. Glorification. Again, this is us in our perfect state, in a perfect place, beholding the fullness of a perfect God. When we speak about salvation, we're speaking about what has happened, 
We're speaking about what is happening and we're speaking about what will happen. Amen. Salvation includes all three of these. Salvation has happened to you, salvation is happening to you, and salvation will happen to you. I want you to to hear the progression of salvation from the Apostle Paul in Romans 13 and verse 11. In Romans 13, 11, he says this. He says, and do this knowing the time that now it is high time to awake out of sleep. For now our salvation is nearer than when we first believed. He's saying now our salvation is nearer now than when we first believed. That means he's speaking about a progression of salvation. So again, it's important that you understand past, present, future. Justification, God accepts us on the basis of Jesus Christ's perfect righteousness. Sanctification is the working out of obedience or the learning of obedience. As the Bible even says that, that, that Christ learned obedience through his suffering. And glorification is the, is the future perfection that we will experience in the new heaven and the new earth. Justification removes the guilt. Sanctification sets us apart to be holy unto the Lord. And glorification is the final and the greatest reward that we hope for. Salvation. Salvation is an anchor for the soul. We've been saved, my friends, from the penalty of sin. And we are continually being saved from the power of sin, and one day we will be saved from the presence completely, the presence of sin. Amen? That's, that's good news. I am saved. I'm saved. Amen? I am saved. I'm being saved. And I will be saved. Verse 17, and take the helmet of salvation. Take, to, to take with the hand. This is to receive, to take upon one's self. Uh, helmet here, to take the helmet. Helmet is a Greek word here called um, parakephalia. Parakephalia is the Greek word for helmet, and basically it means the protection of the soul which consists in the hope of salvation. That's what the helmet here means, the protection of the soul, which consists in the hope of salvation. This helmet will protect your soul, and it will guard your hope of salvation, future, glorification. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 8. First Thessalonians 5 and verse 8. But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love, and as a helmet the hope of salvation. That's what we're speaking about today. We're speaking about the hope of salvation. We're speaking about glorification. That aspect of Salvation. Ephesians 6.17 is speaking about the future hope of salvation in 
heaven. And again, that's us in our perfect state, in a perfect place, beholding the fullness of a perfect God. So, question being then, why is this glorification and future hope of salvation that we've already received, why is the future hope of it, why is that a vital um, piece of the armor within this war? Why is that important? Why is this a vital piece of armor, our hope of salvation? Why? Well, let me say this. You know, Satan will be continually whispering in your ears lies about God. He will continually be whispering in your ears lies about God. And salvation covers your ears from the lies of the enemy. Salvation protects your mind from the lies and the schemes and the attacks of the enemy. Salvation protects your mind. I briefly mentioned last week that one of Satan's fiery darts is, did God indeed say? That's one of his favorite fiery darts. Did God indeed say? Is that what God said? So Satan will whisper to you lies about God and he will whisper to you lies about your salvation. And maybe some of you have, have experienced some of those whispers and some of those lies already about your own salvation. So Satan will whisper to you lies about your salvation. So the helmet is in place to guard your mind and thoughts from the evil schemes of the enemy so that you would be assured and confident in your salvation all the way to the end. Amen. You must be sure that you have been justified, sanctified, and that you will ultimately, in the last day, be glorified. You must be sure of that. And if you doubt this salvation, or believe that you can accidentally lose it, then you're not fit for the battle. If you doubt this salvation or believe that you can accidentally accidentally lose it, then you're not fit for this battle. And Satan will whisper into your insecurities about your salvation. And that will become amplified eventually. But God will keep us in perfect peace. Amen? Whose minds and hearts are stayed on Him. He will keep us in perfect peace. Peace. Ephesians 6, 17 in the Passion Translation, which is, I guess, a new translation. Uh, it says, embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. Embrace the power of salvation's full deliverance like a helmet to protect your thoughts from lies. 2 Timothy 1, 7. For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but of power and of love and of a sound mind. Satan will attack your mind and your thought life, especially in the area of salvation if you are unsure. 
You can't stop the, the birds from flying over your head. But you can stop them from landing on your head, building a nest, and laying eggs. You can't stop the, the thoughts of the enemy from coming. But you can stop them from taking root. And the enemy will send lies to you, will speak lies to you about your salvation. So do not entertain ungodly thoughts. Ungodly thoughts lead to ungodly conversations, which lead to deception, which eventually leads to loss. Ungodly thoughts, ungodly conversations, deception, and then loss. And that's what happened to Eve in the Garden of Eden. Don't listen to the voice of the enemy. Amen? Don't listen to the voice of the enemy. And do not entertain conversations with him. And don't underestimate his power of persuasion. Don't, don't have conversations with the enemy. Because the lies that he tells will sometimes make sense. And that's why we don't, we don't live by our senses. We don't go by our senses and how we feel. But, but don't, don't have conversations with him because he will, he will get in your head. So we don't have conversations with the enemy for we know he's a liar. And we don't entertain the foolishness. So keep the helmet of salvation. Keep it fastened and keep it secure. Amen? You know, the war really isn't that that bad when you focus on glorification. When you focus on, when you understand the end result, when you understand that you're going to be victorious, that one day you're going to be completely delivered and set free from this place, the war or the battle that you're in really isn't that bad. David was the only one who didn't focus on Goliath. Everyone else around him focused on Goliath, so they were afraid. But David's the only one who truly focused on the Lord. And when he focused on the Lord, he was able to conquer and be victorious. And our focus should never be on the battle itself, but it should always be on glorification, that helmet of salvation, that hope of salvation, where I am protected, I am secure, and I will one day be with him. And when you know that, and when you are assured of that, the, the battle really isn't that that bad Philippians 4 and verse 8 finally brethren whatever things are true whatever things are noble whatever things are just whatever things are pure whatever things are lovely whatever things are of good report if there is any virtue and if there is anything praiseworthy meditate on these things what are you entertaining? What are you meditating upon? Meditate upon these things, the things that are noble and that are true and that are good and that are lovely and that are pure. Meditate upon these things. You must be secure in your salvation in order for you to stay in this battle. 
Let's see, you, you entered this war with full assurance of the truth, the bell. You entered this war standing in your rightful position of righteousness, the breastplate. You entered this war knowing that you are at peace with God through the gospel, the shoes, and you entered this war in faith of your salvation, in faith that you will be victorious, and in faith in the promises of God. You entered this war in that manner. But now you, you stay in this battle, you stay in this war by being assured. Not just of your salvation when you first believed, but the security of your salvation until the end. Salvation all the way to glorification. All the way to the end. Ephesians 4 and verse 30 says, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Ephesians 4 and verse 30, And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. In Romans 8, Paul was persuaded by a spiritual truth that he has revealed and shared with the believers in Rome. And he says this in verse 38 and verse 39, he says, For I am persuaded that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other created thing shall be able to separate us from the love of God which is in Christ Jesus, our Lord. What can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Jude. Jude 24 and 25. The Bible says this, Now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. To God our Savior, who alone is wise, be glory and majesty, dominion and power, both now and forever. Amen. Now to Him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to present you faultless before the presence of His glory with exceeding joy. John 10, 27 through 29. The Bible says, My sheep, my sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. And I give them eternal life, and they shall never perish. Neither shall anyone snatch them out of my head. My Father who has given them to me is greater than all. And no one is able to snatch them out of my Father's hand. No one will snatch you out of God's hand. That is a fact. No one will or can take you away from Him. Amen? I believe that one of the greatest enemies to your faith is you or can be 
you. I know that the Lord holds us and that the Lord keeps us. But I also believe from the scriptures that you somehow it's a mystery but somehow can turn your back and walk away from the Lord. I don't know how and it's not an easy thing and perhaps it's rare but scripturally speaking I know it can be done now listen I, I, don't, I don't believe that you can lose your salvation let me clarify what I mean by that I do not believe that you can lose your Salvation, like you lose your wallet or like you lose your car keys. However, I do believe that you can choose to walk away from the Lord. I don't know exactly what that looks like. You know, the Bible speaks about there were some who, who they, they went out from among us, but they were not of us. And sometimes when we see people turning away, they were never of us, right? They, they went out from among us, but they were never truly of us. So we see that sometimes, right? We see those kind of departures. And it's like, well, they were never of us. There is that category of people that I am aware of because of the Bible. But at the same, at the same time, I do believe that you can, again, choose to walk away if you, if you choose just like the, the prodigal son. And that's not the, the greatest example, just throwing it out there. But he, he left the father's house. He also came back to the father's house. But he left the, the father's house. The Bible speaks of apostasy and falling away. The term apostasy comes from the Greek word Apostasia. And pay attention to this. We're, we're speaking from the word this morning. The term apostasy comes from the, the Greek word apostasia, meaning defection, departure, revolt, or rebellion. It's a willful falling away from or rebellion against God and Christianity. It's a willful falling away. It is a voluntary and conscious abandonment of the God of our faith and of the faith itself. Now as I was studying this and I've I've, I've studied this um, for a while. But as I was studying this um, this week, again, I was reminded of, of Satan. The Holy Spirit reminded me of, of Satan. How does an individual who was created perfect 
how does an individual who was created perfect and residing in heaven in the fullness of the power and the glory of God fall and turn his back on God how now no hell seriously think about that for a moment how in the world does Satan who was created perfect and he resides in the presence of the almighty God and sees him and knows him in his fullness how does he turn his back and fall he was created perfectly the Bible says yet iniquity was found in him that's why he's saying I don't know how you explain perfect yet somehow iniquity was found in him there was something that caused that iniquity and that rebellion to come up or to well up on the inside of him so this is the, the, the great mystery again of the falling away of believers for me salvation is a perfect work amen it's a perfect work perfect work it's a perfect work I understand that I believe that so then how does one get to the point of falling away I don't know but it has happened and it can happen, and it, to me, is a mystery. It's a mystery. And, I, and again, I, I don't know how. And I don't understand how it happens, but I must be true to the Word of God. And not only did Satan fall, by the way, the Bible says one-third of the angels fell too. So Satan wasn't the only one who was up there in the presence of the Lord that turned his back and fell. One third of the angels fell as well. Food for thought. They listened to and were persuaded by the lies of Satan and this is why false teaching is also so dangerous. This is why false teaching is so dangerous. It is actually, it's really dangerous in of itself. Matthew 24, 11 says that false teachers will rise up and deceive many. And then Matthew 24 and verse 24 says, For false Christs and false prophets will rise and show great signs and wonders to deceive, if possible, even the elect doesn't necessarily say in this verse that they will be successful in that um, but even the elect has to take heed to what they entertain amen even the elect must take heed first Timothy 4 verse 1 and verse 2 
Now the Spirit expressly says, now the Spirit expressly says that in latter times, some will depart from the faith, giving heed to deceiving spirits and doctrines of demons, speaking lies in hypocrisy, having their own conscience seared with a hot iron. Selah. 1 Timothy 1, verse 18 through 20. I have nothing to say here. I'm just reading what the Word says and let the Word speak to you itself. 1 Timothy 1, 18 through 20. This charge I commit to you, son Timothy, according to the prophecies previously made concerning you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, which is fight the good fight. Verse 19, having faith and a good conscience, which some have rejected concerning the faith, which some have rejected concerning the faith, have suffered shipwreck, of whom are Hymenaeus and Alexander, whom I delivered to Satan, that they may learn not to blaspheme. Selah. Hebrews chapter 6. Verse 1 through 6. Therefore, leaving the discussion of the elementary principles of Christ, let us go on to perfection, not laying again the foundation of repentance from dead works and of faith toward God, of the doctrine of baptisms, of laying on of hands, of resurrection of the dead and of eternal judgment. And this we will do if God permits. Verse 4. For it is impossible for those who were once enlightened and have tasted the heavenly gift and have become partakers of the Holy Spirit and have tasted the good word of God and the powers of the age to come if they fall away to renew them again to repentance since they crucify again for themselves the Son of God and put Him to an open shame. This is clearly, I will say something here, this is clearly not speaking about those that they went out from us, but they were not among us. This is, you were enlightened, you tasted the heavenly gift, you were a partaker of the Holy Spirit, you tasted the good word of God, and the powers of the age to come. That's who this is talking about. In Revelation, God speaks to the churches, and in Revelation chapter 2 to the angel of the church of Ephesus, write, These things says he who holds the seven stars in his right hand, who walks in the midst 
of the seven golden lampstands, I know your works, your labor, your patience, and that you cannot bear those who are evil. And you have tested those who say they are apostles and are not and have found them to be liars. And you have persevered and have patience and have labored for my name's sake and have not become weary. Nevertheless, Curtis mentioned this, this verse a few weeks back. Nevertheless, I have this against you, that you have left your first love. Then it goes on to say, remember therefore from, from where you have fallen, repent and do the first works or else I will come to you quickly and remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. Here's my conclusion on the issue. This is not an either or issue. It's a, it's a both and issue. To, to not believe in falling away and, and apostasy, you have to willfully uh, reject lots of biblical imagery and scripture. You have to. You have to ignore it and turn your back on quite a bit. And, and maybe some of the verses you could, you could try and explain away, but not the entire biblical notion. It's extremely difficult for an individual to leave the faith they once were convinced of. I don't know how it's done. Again, this isn't something where this isn't something that you have to be afraid of or 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 fear. Because it's not like losing your keys. This is something that none of you I want to make this clear, need to be afraid of or fear. I believe God wants us to have confidence in the hope of salvation. But I couldn't, I couldn't speak about this topic without addressing um, also what the Bible says. It would be unbalanced for me to just come and, and read and proclaim to you the first section of verses that I did proclaim without sharing some of these. And there are, and there are many more that I could share from both. But I just chose these ones for today. So again, this doesn't happen by accident. This doesn't happen because you, you forgot to confess a sin and then you were in a car accident and you died, as some people believe. You have to constantly remember all your sins and confess them, and man, if you forget, man, if you went out last night and you got drunk and then you were in a car accident and you, a car hit you, man, you're straight to hell. There are people that believe that. Well, because you sinned, right? No, no, God, that's not how this works. We, we are to confess our sins before him. We're not to be in a lifestyle of practicing lawlessness or practicing sin. 
But you are secure in Him. Be sure in that. Be, be confident of that. This doesn't happen to anyone who, who truly cares. This happens when there is a hardening of the heart. Right? There's a hardening of the heart that takes place. There's a deliberate blasphemy of the Holy Spirit. And there is left within you no more room for repentance. You can't even do it. You don't care. To, there's not, it, it, it's, that's, a, that's a very crazy place to get to. And again, I don't know how an individual gets there. Just like I don't know how Satan fell from heaven. It's a mystery to me. God wants us to be confident. Amen? He wants us to be confident. Let's let's stand up here. Let's stand up. There's a little bit more that I could um, that I could go through today, but um, I think you've had enough. Selah, meditate. Um, the the helmet of salvation is the hope of our salvation, and the Lord wants you to be confident in that. He will keep you. He will hold you. And again, this isn't something that you, man, I just accidentally lost. No, 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 no. This is, again, a deliberate, this is a a blasphemy against the Holy Spirit, hardening of the heart. Um, No more room within you to even repent. That's what I was talking about today. So still hold on to that hope. Don't be, I hope you're not discouraged, right? This is God's word. Right? And we must always have a balanced view of, of His Word. You have, you know, um, you have Calvin that was what, 15, 60 something to like 1609, whatever, and you have. Jacobus Arminius that then was on the scene um, during that time as well. He was on the scene from like 1604 to like 1649, somewhere around there. And one was the the French reformer, right, Calvin, and then you have um, Jacobus or Jacob, as some would say, Jacob Arminius. He was the Dutch reformer. And they both, they both got their, their views, you have to understand, from the Word of God. They were both theologians that loved His Word. Both of them were. I'm, I'm just, you may favor one over the other, whatever, but I want you to know they were both theologians who loved the Word of God. And they both got their, their views from God's Word. So is it, you're right, you're wrong? Or is it possibly that 
you're both right. And, and that's the view I take on this. God will keep you. You don't need to be afraid of that. But at the same time, I believe in the, the sovereignty of God as much as I believe in the free will of men. I believe in both. Because the Bible speaks of both. And people can, there have been debates over the years, as you know, by, by great men of God, they've debated. But what are they using to debate? That's what they're using. So I can respect people like that. This is what they're using. So it's not an either or, but it's a both. Mm. John 1.12 For as many as received him to them he gave the right to become children of God Romans 1 Romans 10.13 and Acts 2.11 both say the same thing everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved Acts 16.31 So they said, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved, you and your household. Romans 10.9 and 10 If you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes unto righteousness and with the mouth confession is made unto salvation. I believe in the sovereignty of God to save but I also believe in the free will of man to respond. I believe there's, there's a call that goes out. And I believe that Christ died for all, 2 Corinthians 5.15. 2 Peter 3.9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. Bible says it's not his will that any should perish. Charles Hodge wrote this, that which adorns and protects the Christian, which enables him to hold up his head with confidence and joy, is the fact that he is saved. And we might add that he knows his salvation will be perfected in the end. Bible describes salvation like a helmet and it will protect our mind and it will protect our thoughts from everything that comes against it let's pray Father we thank you for your word we thank you for Romans 8 and verse 16 where your word says that the spirit of God bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God and Father if there's anyone in here, Lord, that it is not saved. Anyone in here where the Spirit of God has not borne witness with their spirit that they are saved, anyone online or in this room or anyone that will listen to this message later, if they do not have a, an assurance of their salvation, which you have called us to have, then Father, I pray, Lord, as the many scriptures were shared today about your goodness, I pray that they would call upon you from where they are. 
May they call upon you from this room. May they call upon you from their home. But I know, Lord, that your spirit bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. Sometimes people say, well, can you know? Yes, you can know and you should know. You should be sure. So if you don't know and if you're not sure today, then I invite you, then I plead with you, right where you are, to call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And I assure you that He will save you. For His Word says so. For all who call upon Him shall be saved. Thank you, Lord, for Romans 8, verse 29. For whom He foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom He predestined, these He also called. Whom He called, these He also justified. And whom He justified, these He also glorified. We thank You, Lord. We thank You. We thank You for holding us. We thank You, Lord God Almighty, for strengthening us. We thank you. Father, I pray, Lord, that we would be diligent to incline our ears, Lord, to the word of truth. Father, may we not entertain lies of the enemy. But Father, may we always be lovers of your word and lovers of the truth. And what we don't understand, may we seek to understand. What we don't understand, may we study. And Holy Spirit, I pray that you would be our teacher, that you would teach us as we study your word. We thank you for the church and for the, the gift of teaching that you've given to the local church. But we also thank you, Lord, for the Holy Spirit that speaks to us during our devotional time with you. We thank you for the helmet of salvation. We thank you for that helmet that is secure and we thank you Lord God Almighty that helmet does not fall off by chance we thank you Lord that you've placed it upon our head and it will stay and it will remain upon our head and we can be confident in that now to him who is able to keep you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory blameless and with great joy to the only God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time and now and forever. And if you believe, say amen and amen. God bless you. Have a wonderful week. Blessings. We'd love to hear from you. Visit us at thewaycitychurch.org.